Welcome to Beyond Bitcoin, a podcast about all things digital assets, the global communities they are creating, the generations that are using and investing in them, and the challenges faced by the nations that are seeking to regulate them. The content of this program is not to be taken as investment advice. The opinions expressed in the program by the host and the guests are their personal opinions only. Remember, feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. My name is Derek Graham. I'm the CEO of Portal Asset Management, and my co-host is Nitin Gower, Managing Director of State Street Digital Assets. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world, and welcome along to another episode of Beyond Bitcoin. In fact, our first episode for 2023. Nitin isn't with us today because he is swanning it around with the VIPs at Davos, and he will therefore be giving us a live pitch next week from Davos and giving us an update on exactly what's been happening there. But we have a special guest with us today, Mark Seidel from um, Alternative Investments and the Alt Alpha Strategy, um, who's an alternative investment manager based in Switzerland. Hey, Mark, how are you? Hi there, I'm doing well. And hello, everybody else uh, spread across the world. Doing well. Thank you. <laughs> Terrific. Hey, it's been a little while since our last podcast, so I'm going to give a few people an update on what's been happening. The last time we did a podcast was released on December the 15th. And since then, important things have happened. I've caught a number of fish. Some of them are reasonable size. I've got quite sunburnt, and I was pretty happy with the size of one of the larger fish that I caught. That's about it. Of course, family and presence. And as Mark and I were laughing together before, we were in Perth in Western Australia, where the temperature was around 30 to 36 degrees Celsius. And as we gathered together as a family, we, of course, sang great songs like Dashing Through the Snow in a one-house open sleigh. But in fact, where you were, Mark, there was a bit of snow on that side, wasn't there? Yeah, although also here, you know, since we were talking, you know, you have family spread across, so we had different uh, Christmases. On actual Christmas Day, it was also you know, a bit green, a bit gray, so the Christmas beer lacked there. But when I had Christmas with my family, at least then there was one event where we had, you know, enough of snow and the spirit was going through. So, yeah, I can't compare it, uh, you know, to, to your side of the world, but <laughs> what, good for you that you also caught some fish. <laughs> Yeah, very good. Hey, wouldn't it be great to be able to have just a small air conditioning conduit that takes minus 20 degrees Celsius in Switzerland and pumps it into plus 36 degrees in Perth, so it cools us down. But at any rate, starting off, um, you know, this year was quite extraordinary because, you know, when we were last talking in December the 14th, the market was sitting at 5,998. Now that's the, the CCI 30 index, and it's now sitting at 7,422 last time I looked. Um, so that's an increase of nearly 24%. So just this year alone, the market started off with a rally of 28.44%. I think we think driven by improvement with the macro as a primary driver, um, you know, with the slowing inflation, the inverted yield curve and supported by some very positive news in the cryptocurrency world, such as Amazon's web services partnering with Avalanche to scale blockchain solutions for both enterprise and government. Quite extraordinary, really. And El Salvador passing a law allowing Bitcoin bond issuance, as well as Ondo launching tokenized US treasury bonds targeting the $100 billion stablecoin marketplace. These are all very positive for both government and institutional adoption. Be that as it may, 
the crypto asset class, which is the newest of five great asset classes, of course, we think has taken some serious brand damage and is likely to take a while to recover from this. It's our view that the retail investors are likely to return in volume the longest way away, maybe a year away. The private equity and VCs are already back in a market and they're looking for distressed assets with family offices and small institutional investors likely to be the next in line to, to arrive into this market and start purchasing. With this in mind, we thought we would discuss the investment world as seen through the hedge manager's eyes tonight. That's you, Mark. And to introduce exactly Mark's view and the view of Switzerland um, in this particular space. But before we do, let's have a little look at a group called Agecroft Partners, who have released their 14th annual prediction of the biggest trends in the hedge fund industry for 2023. Remember, these are predictions. But they've been doing this broadly for the last seven years and are regularly broadcast on Bloomberg television. So we gather that gives extra credibility to their statement. So these are what they think are the following eight big movers in the industry. So the first one is they expect there's going to be an increase in returns for diversified hedge fund portfolios. Okay. Second is an increase in demand for strategies with excess collateral. So most people associate rising interest rates with declining asset values. In fixed income markets, there's an inverse relationship between interest rates and bond values. So they're expecting over collateralized um, investments to be very popular. They think that there's going to be a period of redefining of risk with interest rates expected to continue to rise. Um, coupled with a moderate recession in 2023, the probability of performance tower risk increases in their view. Um, this will cause many investors to redefine how they view and measure risk. They think there's going to be greater alpha due to higher volatility. That makes sense. Capital markets experience a large increase in volatility in 2022 due to the economic and political uncertainty, which we expect to continue throughout 2023. That we, of course, is um, uh, Agecroft uh, Partners. Um, this should make it easier for managers to outperform passive benchmarks as larger price movements help skilled hedge fund managers add value through security selection. They think that there's going to be continued high concentration of net inflows into a small percentage of managers. In other words, the largest brands in the hedge fund industry. And interesting enough, they're then saying that the smaller managers will outperform those larger managers. One of the biggest issues within the hedge fund industry is that high concentrations of flows to the largest managers with the strongest brands, this causes many of these managers to to inflate well past the optimal level um, where they can maximize the return on their investors. Now, this is a good pitch for us because we're both fund managers in smaller funds, but this is a third party view of this. They become larger and increasingly add these large issues in regards to their returns. And the smaller mid-sized managers then have a competitive position um, they can become more nimble and they tend to generate more meaningful alpha from less efficient price um, areas on the marketplace. They also think there's going to be a decline in the number of hedge fund organizations. 
one of the things they define is they said the hedge fund industry is very Darwinian and is constantly evolving. Due to increasingly competitive environment, they expect the industry to consolidate with fewer hedge fund startups and more hedge funds closing through this year. The interesting thing is this, Mark, this is their final view. Remember, these are guys that are just analyzing the hedge fund industry, no particular bent on anything. They're looking at the entire industry as a whole. But point number eight is a standalone point about blockchain technology. And it says here that many people have lost faith in cryptocurrencies due to high profile theft, fraud and bankruptcies within the industry, which has caused pricing to implode. It certainly has. We expect modest, if any, asset um, flows into this sector in 2023, but remain bullish in the long term. The industry is still in its infancy and will continue to experience tremendous innovation, evolution, and exponential growth over the next decade. There's currently a thousand cryptocurrencies, along with numerous service providers in the industry. And of course, we know there's about 15,000 cryptocurrencies and crypto assets, but it'd be fair to say that a thousand are the largest ones. In fact, it's interesting to note that the CCI 30, broadly the top 30 are about 85% of the market capitalization. The potential and investment opportunities in blockchain technology goes well beyond cryptocurrencies alone. Individuals who can effectively evaluate the landscape, understand how the market is evolving, and determine who will be the future leaders in the industry will be highly successful. Hedge funds will play a much larger role in the industry once security and operational issues improve. Correlations between cryptocurrencies and other asset classes decouple. We look forward to that day. And as the future markets are expanded into blockchain opportunities. Mark, that is kind of a fairly large mouthful of where we're starting, saying that he's expecting numerous hedge funds to drop out of the marketplace, larger hedge funds to grow larger, best returns to be out of small hedge funds, but a great interesting review of where they think blockchain technology is going. Maybe you give us a little bit of a background about who you are, what you're doing with BFI and, and um, Alt Alpha strategy, and then let's get some of your views on what we just discussed then. <laughs> Sounds great, Derek. So um, yeah, let me start off with BFI, the logo you see in the back, uh, giving you all a brief overview. So uh, we're a wealth management and technology group, um, all out of Switzerland, been around for about um, 30 years. And we have an array of different things that we cover, which also allows us to have, you know, different viewpoints. So we're not just, you know, only crypto or only one thing. So we have um, wealth management uh, services um, where we, for example, service the U.S. markets. Also here, we're looking at, you know, different markets that we're working with together. Uh, but we also have a physical precious metals company that just works with bars and coins, you know, all kind of knock on gold, uh, very physical, with yeah. vaults and everything you can imagine. But then we also have um, our fund services and there, and that's also like one of the reasons, you know, where we're talking is uh, yeah. there we have three different uh, funds, uh, fund strategies currently, one being our uh, digital assets, crypto fund of fund, we're investing in other funds. But then we also have uh, a traditional fund of fund. So also there, you know, seeing different viewpoints where we invest, you know, in long, short equities, uh, commodity traders, volatility funds, et cetera, in, in the traditional world. And then we also have um, a precious metals, again, a physical gold fund, or actually using blockchain technology, kind of the last point when it also comes to use cases to provide provenance of the underlying bars in the fund, basically showing, yes. you know, 
know your asset, where are these things coming from, really now deploying this technology. And um, that's kind of like on the finance side, our activity. And then we also have a blockchain company that specifically you know, takes care of this, these, uh, this provenance tracking within the commodity spec sector, specifically gold, because you might not know, but Switzerland, among a few things, is also one of the quote unquote hidden champions when it comes to gold, you know, some of the largest refiners in the world here, you know, a lot of gold trades are going through. I don't know if you knew that, uh, but so that's also why this has you know, a very special uh, role in our economy as well when it comes to import-export being one of, you know, the leading uh, products. And so uh, that's kind of, you know, the BFI group. And then these funds are called the Alt, our Alt Alpha funds, just for also people to connect <laughs> the different names and brands. And uh Briefly uh, talking about myself, I've actually been with BFI now for 10 years in aggregation. Right. right. Um, had a chance to go through the different, you know, uh, sectors. You know, I was in physical precious, precious uh, sorry, physical precious metals trading, um, asset management, now on the fund side. But then after a while, I had also decided I want to see something different. And by mere luck and coincidence and chance, I ended up in tech, uh, first working for Facebook, uh, then working for Google. And these were also experiences, which for me were then now coming, for example, for, you know, the digital space, it's a nice intersection. Understanding a bit, you know, what are, what's the finance world is talking about, also a lot of the concerns, while at the same time, you know, understanding when these, you know, these technologists, they come and they just want to build, they want to move fast, you know, they just yeah. want to go out and um, are times a bit more creative, one could say. Obviously, at times a bit too creative, <laughs> we've also seen that. And um, yeah, that's a bit uh, briefly, you know, on my side uh, from BFI and uh, short background on uh, my person. Hey, Mark, you are just the right person to speak to today, because what you're talking about there is you're talking about the most traditional stores of wealth. You're talking about traditional investments in equity market space. And now you're talking about investments in alternatives such as digital assets. That's a very broad specter, spectrum along the way. Can I ask you a question out of the blue here? I apologize for this. But <laughs> Go you're, ahead. You're, you're, you're dealing with gold, which, yes, I knew Switzerland has a lot of gold. In fact, I'm assuming that occasionally when I land in Zurich or Geneva, that maybe underneath the runway, there's large vaults, vaults full of gold. But maybe I'm just imagining that. But there's certainly a lot of gold in Switzerland. Um, but there's this extraordinary debate between Bitcoin, the value of its algorithm, Metcalfe's law, the number of people utilizing it, its fungibility, et cetera, versus tradition of, of gold. And you're digitizing gold and validating it through blockchains. How do you see that juxtaposition, that position between the two differences there? Um, and, and how do you possibly advise people on, you know, obviously whether they should have mostly heavy gold, so to speak, um, heavy investment in gold, or whether they would have a, a better speculative future in in Bitcoin. How do you how do you look at that? So one thing you know in the past, as I mentioned, since I worked in physical pre precious metals, sorry at times, <laughs> but um, you know also there from my background, actually my two papers I, read, I wrote in university. One was about empirical drivers, gold forward prices, and the other one on exploiting blockchain technology and financial yeah. services. And so, I mean, just as a supposing view when it comes to that, I mean, I'm working with, you know, uh, gold bugs, but also then with Bitcoin maximalists and me, you know, personally talking, I don't see the merit in either camps of the extreme of only having, yes. you know, one thing or only the other. And I don't know if you or your audience, uh, you know, uh, read the book Bitcoin Standard, uh, but it was, it's a very interesting book, or as the, as the title might lead you onto something different, but if you read it, 
like very, I think like maybe 80% of the book, it talks about gold, it talks about sound money, which is also another important concept. And so, you know, to the point, I think if you look at these two camps, there is so much agreeance when it comes to the problems in the current, you know, fiat system where basically the government can just print as much money as they want, you know, this loose monetary policy where there was a phase where we were, I think the world or many people believe, hey, we can just print ourselves out of this trouble. Yes. We're now seeing okay, that doesn't work. It backfires. So there's a lot of agreements with these two camps. However, then when it comes to, okay, what is the solution? That's where then, you know, the, uh, where the thoughts then differ, one go yes. for gold, one go for Bitcoin. Now, how to, how to balance it with clients, obviously, you know, it very much depends on these client, uh, on the clients themselves, on the circumstances. And often these are groups where there's so much emotional attachment also, you know, vested into something that it can become hard. Now, talking to myself, I have both. I have, yes. you know, physical Volgars, the coins, but I also have digital assets, obviously. I see worth and value in both. Um, gold on the one, it's something that has, you know, as a sound money form has been so long within the world, you know, and has, has really been able to establish itself, you know, talking about Lindy effect and the like. I mean, it's there. You can't kill this thing just no. tomorrow on the one hand. However, also it has limitations. And, you know, these limitations we're seeing now, the world where we have, you know, the globalization, digitalization, sending the gold bar from A to B. And, you know, our team, I sit here with the gold team. It's a pain in the bum. There's, okay. I mean, you're working with physical gold, you're working with customs. And so here being able to send Bitcoin over the internet, that is something that has become a suddenly much more interesting. And when I look at Bitcoin, you know, it's not only this narrative of, of store value that is very much trivial, but I think it's interesting on the infrastructure side. We're suddenly Bitcoin being the largest decentralized monetary network running on the internet. We're suddenly, we're, you know, up to now when we wanted to send money, we always had to send, like, think about like railway tracks via the banks. We had to send money from A to B, which also, especially foreign, can also be a pain at times. Uh, Now, suddenly you have the opportunity to use the internet, the Bitcoin rail, so to speak, to send money and to just use as a railway track. You know, let's do, let's say Swiss francs, FX into Bitcoin. I send it over to US, do another FX into dollar and I sent dollars, my counterparty, uh, I sent Swiss francs, my counterparty received dollars, use the Bitcoin network, but might not even be aware of it. For example, the works of Jack Muller from Strike. And so um, that being said, I didn't give you a clear answer. How do I solve it? It very much depends, unfortunately, but that's kind of like the differences when I look yeah. at it, whereas the other, I also see more of this infrastructure aspect, which is more uh, forward looking uh, in the future that still has a way to go, but I consider very interesting. Hey, Mark, the other interesting thing is I regularly say on this um, show, and that is we look at the whole world of what it's like now and we extrapolate that out into the future. And that's we. And as much as I like to think of myself as a very young man, um, I'm not 25 and I'm not Generation C, in other words, Generation Crypto. Do you think that generation in 10 or 15 years' time is going to want to have gold bars or do you think they're going to want to have digital assets? It's a definitely a tough call because I think one thing, you know, physical gold also there's, there's this, uh, you know, actually recently again, you know, held some uh, coins and um, there is a certain magic about it, which is maybe hard to explain. And, you know, again, there is a reason why it's been around for so long. However, I mean, it is so if now with the mobile phone and just also in the last five, 10 years, how internet smartphones, they have changed how we as human beings interact a lot. And so that was also like where I worked Facebook or Google. Yes. I worked a lot 
on uh, this change, and this has been extremely rapid. And you know, while a lot of people think internet is tapped out, I don't see that at all. I mean, with the internet itself, we're only starting to get going because in 2017, the amount I had to run around as Facebook and talk about the internet mobile first is almost laughable, you know, now wow. five years later, but yeah. just going, it's going to show things, you know, move so quickly, like checks, you know, physical like checks, writing piece of paper that happened yes. in the US, I'd still get it. And I think yeah, a lot of- They still, you know, they still use checks in the US. I, I, in Australia, I haven't seen a check, literally, honestly, I haven't seen a check for seven years. I haven't seen one, let alone utilized. Well, I've never seen one. <laughs> I mean, obviously, <laughs> the are different. But, you know, it really goes there to show where, um, yeah, the mobile, the, the role that the mobile phone plays, that mm. internet constant connectivity, just thinking mm. about how cheap internet suddenly has become. Obviously, I know like many places still have a way to go. But I remember Switzerland, we had internet on my phone and my dad for the first time took my mom's phone to go on the internet to look at Harley Davidson. She got an insane bill. Um, you know, the yeah. times really changed yes. uh, in adaption. So I guess it's, I think... Um, I just wouldn't write something off that has like gold that has been around for such a long time. I wouldn't write it off, but um, yeah, it's definitely hard to, to say um, how, you know, the next generation will interact. And, you know, the last point here, it's funny that, you know, a lot of uh, my quote unquote crypto friends were, you know, all in Deegan's, you know, all these, these slang words, 99%. Uh, we recently also had an event where we showed all our funds and they said, you know what, Mark, maybe some physical gold wouldn't be that bad because <laughs> these volatility swings are also something you can't do, you know, forever. That's right. I think the object of this is that, of course, we don't give investment advice on the show. We never have, nor do our guests. However, diversification is reasonable advice. Um, and, and that's an obvious outcome here. What's interesting, though, of course, Mark, is the top 20 users of cryptocurrency Broadly, number, and they do this calculation by utilization, not speculation, but broadly, number one is Vietnam last year, September 21. So it'd be interesting to see what the numbers come through. And number two is India. I expect India will outpace Vietnam. Um, and then you look in the top 10 and number eight is China. I love that. China, where cryptocurrencies are banned. They're the eighth biggest user in the world, right? Perfect. Um, you know, Australia doesn't rank in the top 20, but in the top 10, Ukraine and Russia rank. And the reason why, I would argue it's hard to take $20 million across the border in gold. You just don't have the pocket size or strength to do it, but you sure as hell can with the likes of Bitcoin. So that this mobility aspect of it is going to have its own role to play in the future. And of course, when you see um, things such as, uh, you know, countries looking at at utilizing um, Bitcoin as part of their collateral, as part of their financial systems, um, you know, such as El Salvador passing a law to utilize Bitcoin as for bond issuance. It's really interesting how that might play through, which is a little bit of a, a throwback on where we were in, you know, all the way up until the 1970s when gold was, um, you know, the gold standard in the US. Um, so these are our thoughts. But what are your thoughts about what the Swiss funds and Swiss investors, you know, have a view now, now um, in the world of crypto assets and cryptocurrencies and this new digital asset space? What is their view now? So here, and specific, and I'll, you know, we're starting with our view. It's um, in the long term, we're still, and this is really like the first separation when it comes to blockchain as a technology, mm. you know, mm. 
and a technology that underpins a lot, we're very bullish there in the long run. We can really see we really see that moving forward. And that's something also when you're talking with people, it's very interesting how you phrase things. You know, do I call it digital assets? Do I call it cri cryptocurrencies? Do I call it yes. tokens? Suddenly it completely shifts the sentiment. Albeit, we might be talking about the same thing. Yes. So maybe just, you know, throwing it out there. That's something that this industry hasn't yet solved. And at the time it, it is, it's quite a, it's quite a pain and a mess because we're all talking about other things. That's why I'm underpinning its blockchain technology. I think is very interesting. Cryptocurrencies really out of the payment infrastructure side are also interesting. Let's say, you know, very specifically Bitcoin. However, you know, that's just a small segment of a much larger pie that's being built. Yes. Be it decentralized finance, be it gaming, be it sports and entertainment. There's so many things that are being built there that are, you know, very interesting. And um, so there, long run, I think many actors and players are still bullish. Now, in the short run, um, I think things are going to be a bit more difficult. Why? Mm -hmm. On the one hand, you know, we had a lot of institutional investors, be it smaller banks, asset managers, family office, some, you know, larger banks, you know, they were kind of like almost on that tipping point to go in. Yes, I agree. And then, you know, we already in last summer, we had this Luna three arrow capital debacle. And now FTX happened. I think FTX hit so much harder home because, you know, FTX had, you know, all these accolades of, you know, you had all these former presidents on board. You had these superstars there. You had, yes. you know, you just had all that shine and rise. All these signals that provide a lot of people with trust, you know, that they're, they're, on, they're on arenas, et cetera. And that now shows out to be, you know, very falsely misplaced. You know, we're looking here at massive proportions of, of fraud and also trust erosion. So I think like these, you know, the, this this past year, which was very troubling and, you know, a lot of bad things happened, um, has now been something that has been putting uh, a lot of these, um, you know, institutions off. Also, just think about the often the people who are driving these institutions, there are few of them. I talk with, with a lot of them, you know, they're few in number. Yes. They already have an uphill battle. And then these things happen. Well, you know, I mean, both of you heard it. I told you so. You know, these are, yes. I told you this was, uh, this was rubbish. I told you this was all full of scam. And so this is definitely something that in the short run is, is hurting um, the sector. And we're, um, I mean, I just came from, you know, the crypto finance conference, South Moritz, uh, the CFC South Moritz, mm -hmm. where a lot of yes. big institutional players uh, gathered and discussed. And it was um, ironic to a certain degree that this industry, we were talking a lot about building trust. Albeit, you know, the blockchain narrative is, you know, this trustless, permissionless. Trustless. <laughs> so we're going, we're going back to the roots. We have to build trust. And um, that is why uh, long run still bullish, but look, there's still more work to do. And yeah, I think definitely it is building back trust is going to be one of those things. Yes. Hey, Mark, um, we interviewed Roll Powell a little while ago. And of course, Roll is, you know, very um, well-known and colorful um, presenter in this particular space. And I asked him the question, what do you think it'll take for the institutional investors to come back? And his, his answer was very simple and, and, and somewhat underwhelming. And that was, he said, for the price to go up. <laughs> and, and so much of that's true, you know. Um, everyone's a doubter until, until they think they're, they're missing out and all of a sudden they become interested again. Um, you know, we, we're up to, you know, nearly 28.5% rise since the 1st of January. Um, you know, a couple of questions. Do you think this will stay reasonably stable or we'll see, a, you know, 
a lot of change occur with that? Do you think if after two months or three months of fairly steady confidence in the market that these people will start um, reconsidering their investment um, through, you know, fear of missing out? Um, or do you think the educational gap between their understanding of what cryptocurrencies are, which is really securities, utility tokens, non-fungible tokens, et cetera, um, is going to still keep them away from investing in this space? So I think on the one hand, education needs to continue because the problem is without education, you're always going to have a very, or let's say, a strong emotional reaction to either, you know, FOMO, fear of missing out, here, take my money, or this, oh, this is dead, you know, this is all over. I had, you know, within these last month, I had so many conversations with people like, now this is over, you know, we're done here, and this is never going to come back. And soon as there's a little price bump, you know, relatively speaking to where we came from, from the tops, um, suddenly these talks of, oh, you know, I, I missed the dip. And uh, so, no, education must continue to move forward. Because also here, you know, let, let's talk about retail investors. You know, sure, there can be much more re an emotional reaction to the market. However, for this market to really move, you know, long term, where we think it will go and where it has to go, we need the institutional world to join in. And this yes. world, it's not just going to be bumped by the price. Obviously, it helps. It moves more decisions mm -hmm. forward. However, here, not only education, but also the regulatory aspect becomes important where more clarity has to reside. And also, you know, like we, Switzerland, one of the things that this country has is regulatory clarity. You know, we as asset managers and like our, you know, financial market um, authority is doing, you know, your uh, well job by providing guys, this is what you can do, this is what you can't do. And obviously these are things, still things, you know, that are work in progress, but this provides so much more help and clarity than just having a regulator that doesn't say anything. And that's, you know, in many countries, the case where people don't know, is this right? Is this wrong? So regulation uh, needs to move forward as well in this space for these players to join the market. We have to continue to move on education and price. You know, um, actually just this morning, I talked with our chief investment officer, Dirk, across the group about this. Yeah, there's been a rally, but we've been seeing now, you know, brief rally across the board. And obviously the big question here is, is this the bull run or is this the bull trap? And um, while I just looked at Wall Street Journey this morning, and I know, you know, news, you always have to watch out. There's a lot of noise, but just kind of, I just scanned through the headlines. <laughs> you know, things don't look that great. Obviously, as a human, I'd wish everything would just turn around and, you know, all the issues we have, they would be resolved and we'd be, we'd be, at, we'd be off to, you know, a great living. But um, I be, believe, you know, and we believe this year, it's going to be a more challenging market in the sense of also a top insurance church, you know, one of the points you mentioned on the report that we're going to see these swings where volatility and, you know, the alpha opportunities there where for a buy and hold, you know, kind of beta index approach. It's going to be much tougher, you know, to to um, to sustain growth. Whereas the last, you know, decade, you bought an index and you know, kind of you you were, I mean, you were good. Yes. Things were just going up, and we're we're entering here and like now a new world where this is going to be much more difficult. So also here, you know, with digital assets, I personally don't think this is not going to go, you know, straight up into the moon from here uh, without any bumps. This is digital assets, and you know, we, we haven't ventured a more volatile world, and so it's going to be a bumpy road. And I was in Switzerland to begin with in this space in 2017, attending conferences there, and it was in Zurich. And at the time, there was active, and it was even probably two years old at least, um, work between uh, lawyers specialising in this space and the government itself, 
looking towards building institutional um, support through regulations. That's come a long way, I would imagine, since 2017. Do you think Switzerland is um, well regulated now that um, this particular space uh, would be a better space to invest in out of Switzerland? Yes, so we see a lot of interest there uh, from you know people abroad because our regulators, like early on, they've been working on it. And this is not only on the federal level, but this is also on the state level. And for those people who don't know, Switzerland, you know, we have a decentralized government also where yes. actually when it comes to taxes and many rules, states are kind of in competition with each other. So, you know, Crypto Valley, which uh, is kind of the, the nickname of Zug, has been yep. able to garner a lot of this interest. And suddenly Lugano, a city out of the south, is coming, like rushing to the attack with, um, like, for example, implementing Bitcoin as a payment rail for a lot of local stores because they're, they also now want to attract business. So you have the federal and like the local uh, canton level, which are working on the one end here to provide regulation, to provide, you know, more clarity for businesses to operate. And at the same time, when it comes to investments, we have, you know, hybrid um, crypto banks, so to say. You have players such as, you know, a Signum, a Seba, or also, you know, Swiss Co player that, that actually offer both. And uh, this now, you know, especially with things such as FTX, suddenly people realize it's actually worth something having an actual bank with a banking license in Switzerland that has a strong tradition in this space, you know, uh, um, uh, matched with technical capability in offering storage for your digital assets, because I know yeah, this mantra, customer. not your keys, not your cheese, yep. is great. But honestly, if you have, you know, 50, 100 million or, or more, I think it's quite stressful if you're matching yes. the key. So that they're always, there's always a pro and a con to everything in life. But to so yes, we're definitely seeing a rising interest and requests for people to find home here in Switzerland for their Bitcoin, Ether, whatever it may be. So, you know, there's been sort of a, a thought and, and, you know, possibly at the CFC conference in St. Moritz, you may have seen this discussed. And this is wrapping around sort of, you know, a perception that there's a cleansing of the ecosystem of the projects and funds that have occurred. Um, and, and that this is a, a good thing for the space. We certainly have made that comment along the way. Uh, so you get rid of sort of the absurd, um, say, play to earn gaming that didn't make economic sense in this particular case in some cases um, or you you get rid of really crazy uh, cryptocurrencies um, although Cebu Anu is still there hey, that's just my view um, and and you you were then able to turn around and start making people sort of focus on what they think are the major use cases I was watching um, or reading Masari's report uh, that comes out each year. It's about 168 pages long, and the fellow that writes it is um, is a charming narrator. And he he made the view that their view is investing in the picks and shovels of the world still, which is layer one protocols, um, layer two, um, and and um, zero knowledge proof, um, because the this is the infrastructure that everything gets built on, including all of that which is associated with security tokens, utility tokens, um, and, and then, of course, uh, you know, future Web 3.0 um, worlds. So, so are the Swiss investors looking that far forward into the space or are they still determining really what is a layer one protocol and should I invest in that? You know, 
what's the firstly what's their knowledge base in the area do you think and if the knowledge base is there are they looking through and believing that it is this picks and shovel infrastructure is their first investment go-to um, or are they actually going an extra step further and going i want to talk about the metaverse and web 3.0 so um I think, well, first off, you know, education, obviously, it's going to depend very much. But generally speaking, from what I'm seeing, and funny enough, because I just yesterday got an email from an investor exactly referencing picks and shovels. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so the, so I think that picks and shovels, apps interest is absolutely there. You know, as I said at the beginning, also our interest, we want to have a broader investment in the ecosystem because it's also a point now to say who are going to be the big winners. It's very hard. But however, if you can focus on, you know, the ecosystem, the things that are required, the infrastructure, that also provides, you know, much a better way to diversify the investment. And, you know, as the topic before, diversification is definitely something that we see here is key, not only on the investment theses, but also as we're seeing now, uh, your partners where, you know, your assets being held, traded, custody, et cetera. So uh, we definitely see um, that, you know, interest there on um, the infrastructure side, taking it a level further. I think when it comes to, you know, Web3 that you mentioned, also that was, uh, you know, interest that was popping up, like, for example, in St. Moritz, uh, CFC, um, people are interested in Web3. However, there, I guess, also on the education side, um, again, with one conversation said it's super interesting in Web3, but so what is this actually, <laughs> you know, yes. what, what does this entail? Like, what, what is blockchain? What, what is VR? What is AR? Like, I know these are very sexy terms right now, uh, Web3, to throw it out there. But like the thing in the blockchain, it's really, what are we actually talking about? And how are we addressing these things? Are, you know, go, or is, does this also an equity investment in Facebook? Because they're a massive player, or not meta, I should say, you know, in the whole VR space. So there's so many questions where, again, through education, we have to work on it. But yes, it's definitely um, um, a narrative or a storyline that draws interest. But I do believe, especially on the Swiss side and like we culturally a bit more you know, conservative at times, if I may say so, generally speaking, we're not you know, known for being the biggest gung-ho people, which I guess is also a reason why people like us when it comes to custody and the like. <laughs> you don't like to have cowboys on that end. Um, and, but Mark, um, you say that, that you're conservative, and I understand that. But at the same time, Zug is there. At the same time, um, L1 is there, which is a large investment VC company with um, which actually has not just institutional, but governmental monies in it. Um, and so when you're looking at that, clearly there's a section in Switzerland which is looking well, towards definitely. the future. And, and they've got a bigger view of things that, than just the, the base conservative um, investment strategies. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. No, it's definitely there, I guess, just in, you know, in proportion to everything else. Yes. This is still small. Um, yes. You know, there's still, but that's also a good thing. You know, if it were already big, then well, all the alpha and the opportunity would have been already eroded. Yes, perfectly said. I think it's extremely important. People will often look at this and go, well, this is all about risk. Well, risk is the price you pay for reward. It's that simple. You don't want to pay any price. You don't get any reward. Um, no and free so, lunch. <laughs> no free lunch, exactly, which is a pity. Um, so, so one of the things you talked about with CFC is this discussion about um, you know, trust in the ecosystem. Of course, this is very ironic because you're talking about a, a trustless distributed um, environment. Yet what we saw in 2022, of course, was an environment that the centralized finance collapsed in trust on a regular basis through the famous three arrows, um, through Voyager, through Celsius, and then through a one-two punch 
through FTX and, uh, and the, the, the contagion associated with that. They're all centralized finance that has been broken of trust. Is it understood at CFC that in fact, this trustless environment, decentralized finance that was trading algorithms uh, and, um, you know, and swapping tokens on a constant basis, et cetera, was working faultlessly well right through this breakdown of trust. Is that an understood area there or do they just bundle in um, you know, the entire sector and say, we can't trust it? No, thanks. So within that group, the understanding is there. However, the question is, you know, how is the outside world perception, so to speak? Yes. And I think uh, Senator Loomis from the US said something, you know, to the effect of when it comes to FTX that it's not the, the blockchain or the crypto uh, sector that's standing here on trial. What's standing a trial here are, as you know, centralized organizing, fraudulent human activity. And, you know, to your point, I think that's really that understanding that, yeah, CFI versus DeFi, where, yes. you know, a lot of this, and th these were humans. And, you know, this is not the, the first time that fraud activities happen. This has happened in other sectors before. And it's yes. definitely not going to be the last time because we're humans. You know, greed comes into play. There's so many things that come together. And I think, but that is something that obviously, you know, if you look at a lot of the headlines and, you know, uh, coming out of the sector, I know, you know, clickbaiting, engagement fishing, these are all things you just like to mush together because who likes, you know, a well-balanced headline? It's not going to sell. It's not going to generate clicks. So we're just going to hammer the whole industry. And I think so that is definitely something where uh, on the one hand, the industry, you know, we have to own up on mistakes that were made very, very clearly, but also, you know, clearly separate out that then or that these are fraud or people will never get this out, but we're not going to get this out in any industry. It's, yeah. uh, it's just how, uh, you know, we humans are, unfortunately. Yes. Hey, Mark, was it Matt Damon that said fortune favors the bold? Was the he that was on the advert? Um, but he, so whoever it was that stood up and said fortune favors the bold, I think it should be altered. It should be fort fortune favors the informed. <laughs> yes, it's uh, <laughs> no, it's definitely so. I mean, that's also why the point of education. There's yeah, there's still a long way we have to go. You know, we have to and like you know podcasts like this, or other conversations. I think also important you know balanced conversations. Where you know they're pros, they're cons. It's niche, it's not just one hype train, everything going to the up and you know, undisputably, um, you know, to, we're going to the moon, but it's also not the other side where everything is just terrible. I think you know, for me, technology as money, they're both neutral, which basically means you can use them for good or for bad. I mean, think about you know how many wars were financed with dollars, you know, the on the one hand, but on the other hand, how many hospitals were built, how much research was funded. So I think that's also where we just have to understand where then we as humans. We're the ones that make the difference and are able to, yeah. you know, steer the ship in one way or the other. We do get very accustomed to our environment, the mechanisms and tools they op operate in. And we also make assumptions, this lineal assumption that everywhere is the same. Well, I'll tell you what, sure as hell isn't everywhere the same as Switzerland, which is immaculate, organized well, and operates effectively with good regulations. So Zimbabwe not doing so good. And this is the point. It's not a level playing field. It's not all the same. The demand for digital assets or the ability to do digital currency transactions across the world at speed in microtransactions is a lot more important maybe to, for somebody that's operating out of an Indian village um, than they are operating out of Zurich. And so we may well see that a lot of this adoption of currencies is going to occur out of these developing countries in what um, is often referred to as the... Is the um, bankless group, I think it's referred to, those that aren't banked um, around the world. And, and so 
that's something we need to consider from a, I think, a user-based point of view. And the other statement you made is so true, and that is that, you know, we, we tend to bundle things together. We're busy. We don't have a lot of time. We don't have a lot of bandwidth to understand this. So cryptocurrencies must be currencies. Well, they're not. As you and I know, they're just not. They're securities. They're utility tokens. They're non-fungible tokens. You know, they're Web 3.0 structures. They are transactions of monies. They're stores of wealth. These are all very different things. They're just digitally reflected in value, like digital gold. That doesn't mean that the gold is a currency. It you know, can be used as that's fairly clumsy as one, you know, like Bitcoin is frankly reasonably clumsy as a currency too, because it's slow. Um, but knowledge is the most important thing here, I think, to get this broad understanding uh, for that. And I, and I hope that, uh, you know, the institutional investors, the hedge fund managers of Switzerland, I know so, it's not just hope, it's no so, um, will want to learn more and more about this space because it really is going to be a space that impacts them, I think, in due course. And it's just a matter of time. It was interesting, a, a statement from the managing director of MY Mellon, I think it is, and he turned around and made this wonderful statement. He turned around and said, denying cryptocurrencies is like saying, I'm going to stay with paper. I'm not interested in using computers. You, you raised such a good point. I mean, you multiple, like, you know, to your first point is really understanding that, yes, you know, where, where we're all sitting, you know, we're lucky enough that we have this privileged view where we can look at the space as speculation, you know, for many. But then understanding that in countries where there are currency controls, where there's rampant inflation, where there, where there's so many, you know, crippling governments, where suddenly, you know, there it's not uh, it's not speculation, it's financial inclusion. It's suddenly yes. opportunity. It's just, you know, completing from completely different standpoint. And you're to your point on bank. I can't remember the exact numbers, but it's still massive, the amount of people that are unbanked. And yes. now thinking, you know, also at the same time, technological development, smartphone, Android phones with 50 bucks, suddenly, you know, you're, you have you have a you have a phone where you're where you can start to connect. And then you have, you know, Elon Musk with his um, with his Starlink, where suddenly, you know, interest yes. coverage is also increasing. So there's so many things moving in tandem where, yes, I think, you know, a lot of us, we underestimate that because we're not affected. And look. I'm not going to be buying my coffee with Bitcoin and whatnot. Hey, I, I want to you know, keep that, but I'm going to use Swiss franc. It works great for me, but I'm fortunate. I'm lucky. Many are not. Yes. And I think that's the one side, you know, exactly as you point out. And the other side, I mean, what, again, I see in Switzerland, I also, you know, participate in courses where I, uh, you know, kind of educate a crowd. And it's, it's so funny for me to see that I have, you know, bankers from the big banks come in who are interested. Then I have people from the government, from like the, the tax um, side, or, you know, people from the post or reporters, you know, they're all interested. They want to learn. And at times, obviously, you get very critical questions. But this, I think that's the openness to learn, to understand. And I think also, you know, what so many people at uh, the time have a hard time understanding, like asking Bitcoin and gold. For many people, this is conflicting thought. Why not yes. hold both of them together? Why can't they coexist? Why yes. doesn't, you know, one have a role and the other has, you know, in a in different scenario? But also the same thing is, you know, reserve the right to be, you know, to change your mind. It took me years uh, of discussion with my father uh, from, you know, very, very tough discussion. So for many dinner conversations, and now he's on board and, you know, now, he, you know, he also like metaverse NFTs, but it's the thing where, you know, people also, you, yeah, and I also changed my opinions. If I'm presented with the new facts, the world has changed, then I will readjust. I will look at the new facts where we stand. And I think those are a lot of things where at least my message would be to many, if you don't think this is rubbish, this sector, well, then just, you know, 
maybe you'll be open to change your mind in, in one or two years or whatnot. Hey, Mark, fortune favors the informed. <laughs> That's our new slogan, I think. Hey, yeah. um, <laughs> very good to the point. We're coming to the end. And so an opportunity maybe if someone wants to reach out and contact you or, or you know, ask some questions, how might they do that, Mark? Um, so on the one hand, you have our group website, which is www.bficapital.com. From there, it leads you to all other things and also lead you to me. And, you know, me directly, I mean, you can just find Mark Seidel. I'm on LinkedIn or my handle at Twitter is uh, at Mark Seidel. Uh, so those are ways, you know, feel free to reach out, have a chat. And um, yeah, I mean, you know, also thank you for you, Derek, for a, having me on also as your first guest heading into new year, new year and also um you know a thank you for your educational work you're doing here you know fighting the good fight so to speak in the asian region down there <laughs> we're trying you know to hold the fort here uh, in this in switzerland and europe uh, also thanks for that very much and the conversation delighted. no absolutely delighted and i must say so mark witten our cio will soon be in switzerland again and it's his intention to spend a lot more time there in fact move there and we find uh, Switzerland to be fascinating because the level of sophistication is extraordinary. Uh, yes, they're conservative, but they are highly educated and they are willing and interested in learning in, in most cases. And uh, I think that's a good thing. So, you know, we'll, we look forward to hopefully catching up with you again. I'll be back there in June and we might have an opportunity of seeing each other again. Um, for the time being, thank you so much for your time and your informed views of things. And uh, we look forward to catching up again. Thanks so much, Derek, and looking forward to meeting you again. Have a great day. We hope you enjoyed our weekly conversation. If you have any questions, comments, or suggested topics, please contact Nitin Gower or myself on the emails displayed here or via our LinkedIn profiles. Feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. Stay well, inquisitive, and engaged. See you next week.